reading uh, this morning will be taken from Judges 6. Um, as we progress in the story, I love this week's study and analogy of Gideon. He is my hero. And just listen to it. I'm going to read out of the New Century Version, Judges 6. I think you'll correlate or relate to Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak tree at Oprah that belonged to Joaz, one of the Asperzite people. Gideon, Joaz's son, was separating some wheat from the chaff in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Ah, then, then Gideon said, Sir, if the Lord is with me, why are we having so much problems? What are the miracles? What about the miracles our ancestors told us about when the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now he has left us and handed us over to the Midianites. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go with your strength and save Israel from the Midianites. I am the one who is sending you. But Gideon answered, Lord, how can I save Israel? My family group is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least important member of my family. The Lord said, I'll be with you. Then Gideon said, prove it to me, Lord. And then I go over to verse 23, which I love. But the Lord said to Gideon, calm down. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Amen. I want to join with Eddie in welcoming you here today. We're glad that you are in worship today. If you're visiting, you're an honored guest and hope that you'll be back at every opportunity that you have. Uh, we're going through the story and I, I hope that you're enjoying the way that it's breaking down into chapters, these large sections of Scripture. And Gideon is in a great study. I appreciate that reading. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. There, there's something about the human experience, and it seems like that, that even today, in 2015, a lot of times we struggle with owning uh, a healthy measure of, of uh, for lack of a better term, self-confidence. In other words, sometimes early on we learn to not be as self-confident as we maybe ought to be. And sometimes because we've learned it young, it stays with us for a long time. Uh, it's one of the reasons that single guy sits home on Friday night without a date. It's not because there aren't people out there to date. The reason single guy sits home on Friday night without a date many times is because he does not ask for a date. Because he has some fears. He lacks some self-confidence. He has the fear that she might say, I don't want to go out with you. The fear of rejection. It affects us in adulthood also, though. 
I was having a conversation just this week with a friend of mine who's in ministry, and uh, he's contemplating a, a move from youth ministry into the pulpit. And as we were talking about this and we were discussing it, he, he made a statement. He said, I try not to, but I, I look around and I get really intimidated by guys that I perceive to be really talented. And he realizes that's not a good quality, but that fear of not measuring up, sometimes that's who we are. It's likely one of the reasons that in a lot of ways we really admire and respect those coaches who seemingly have no fear. And sometimes their self-confidence is at such a level that it comes off as maybe being arrogance. And maybe in some cases it is. But we look at the person who seemingly has no fear and our hat's just off to that person. And so for most of us, in one area of life or another, we've probably experienced those moments where we don't have the self-confidence that maybe we'd like to have, but sometimes maybe we're plagued by fears related to who we are as God's people and what that should look like in the way that we live out our faith. And so from chapter 8 of the story, we're going to talk about Gideon and as you try to title a lesson, you want to use something that's useful. And, and so I'm trying to think about what should we call this lesson. And I ended up going with show me a sign. The, the other thing that kind of went through my mind was from fearful to faithful because you're going to see growth in Gideon as we talk about him. And I realize you're hopefully have already read this. But let's back up a little bit and understand where we are. Israel is in the promised land. But it's not all good. In fact, things have really gotten bad. However, it's not God's fault. In taking the land, there were some things that Israel had been asked to do, but they had not done. You may recall that one of the things they were supposed to do, they were supposed to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Judges 128 talks about the fact that had not been done. And as God had tried to warn them, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land, rather than focusing on me and focusing on my covenant and my agreement with you, those people that are still there, they're going to influence you and they're going to drag you away from me toward them. And that's what's going on. Judges 2 verses 11 and 12 talks about this. The other thing that happens through this... Another problem that's going on, Joshua dies, and then the Bible says in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, that the generation grows up that does not know the Lord. And so the problem has been there were a generation of people who were following God, and they were paying attention to God, but they didn't teach it to their kids. Just like we were talking about a minute ago. They didn't share the information. They didn't pass it along. And so now you've got people who do not know God. And so the Bible states in Judges 3 verse 4 that God has allowed some of these inhabitants to remain. And He's going to use these inhabitants to test His people to see whether or not they're going to follow Him. And so as chapter 8 of the story introduces the judges, it also introduces this ongoing cycle of, uh, of decline and, uh, that, that Israel finds itself in. The cycle looks like this. They sin. And God allows things to get very bad for them. And so as things get worse for them, finally they cry out. And so God raises up a judge. And, and the judge will come and he will lead the people. And there will be repentance. And they will do well for a while. Uh, like Don mentioned again uh, a minute ago. And then after the judge dies, that sin cycle starts all over again. 
And it's an interesting thing because during this cycle, the, the, during this time, the judge, whoever the leader is at that point, it seems that, that it has everything to do with the judge, the leader, about whether or not the people are going to follow God. And we must never allow that to be the case today. See, God wants this personal relationship with us. And I wonder sometimes if we don't put too much emphasis on who our leaders are in regard to whether or not we're going to follow. And so these people, they're extremely fickle. And so God calls Gideon. He's not the first judge, but he is one from whom we can learn. We're introduced to Gideon during the sin cycle. The, the oppression of the Midianites, it's severe. It's to the point that Israel is calling out for some help. They're asking God for help. And the first thing God does is He sends a prophet in Judges 6. And the prophet arrives, and the prophet doesn't arrive to help them. The prophet arrives with a word from God that is passing judgment. And basically the prophet says the reason things are as they are is because you have sinned, you're not following God, you're not paying attention to the covenant, that's why things are this way. And again, as we think about our lives today, I wonder if we ever find ourselves in similar situations where we haven't been living right. We know we're not really focused on our walk with God, but our lives have gotten bad and things have gone not the way we want them to. And as things really get bad and we really find the bottom of the valley, we're calling out to God and we're asking for His help and we're depending on Him. We're thinking He'll listen, not because we've been trying to live for Him, but simply because we've got a problem. And so in spite of God's statement of judgment, early in Judges chapter 6, you see God's grace. And you see God's continuing love because He does explain to them why things are the way they are, but then He comes and the angel of the Lord visits Gideon. And it was, as was so eloquently read in verses 12 and 13, the angel calls him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And, so, and it's ironic because the name Gideon, the name itself means hacker. It's a mighty name. It's the idea of somebody who is going to destroy things. And when we first meet Gideon, he's hiding out in the wine press. He's hiding out there so that maybe they can salvage and keep some of the crop away from the Midianites. And so Gideon realizes he's not in a great place. And so the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And so Gideon's response is, well, if God is with us, why are we going through all these things? He reveals something. He reveals that he's not been all that focused on the covenant and the agreement and why things are the way they are. Now, he's heard the stories. He, the, the, the stories have been told about a day when God was there and a day when God did great things. And so he's immediately asking, you know, if God's with us, where is he going? Well, the Lord looks at him again and says in verse 14, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And then you see some of that classic human fear in Gideon. Some of that classic lack of self-confidence. Oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? My family's the least in Manasseh. I'm the youngest of my father. You know, I'm not sure you're thinking that you've got the right guy here. I hope you're not because there's no way that this needs to be my job. And so Gideon, he kind of blames God for the trouble. He realizes or he acknowledges that he's ignorant of, of the covenant of the agreement. 
He tries to say, I'm not the guy for the job. He's got a powerful name, but at this point he doesn't have a powerful faith. In fact, his mindset is fear right now. And so in verse 17, Gideon says, well, if it's you, Lord, if, if I need to know what's really going on here, I, I need a sign. Show me a sign. And so Gideon runs and prepares a meal, brings it back, and the angel of the Lord delivers on that sign. He touches the food with his staff and fire springs out. And you might say that it's two signs because the very next thing that happens is that the angel of the Lord vanishes according to the New American Standard. He disappears. And so the sign is given. God then comes back and He challenges Gideon. I've shown you a sign. And so now what I want you to do is I want you to go and pull down the Baal altar that belongs to your dad. I want you to go to your dad's house and I want you to tear down the altar uh, that was your dad's and I want you to replace it with what's right. I want you to go do that. Notice verse 25. Now on the same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold and in order manner. And so we're beginning to see some cautious obedience from Gideon because Gideon obeys God, but he does it under the cover of darkness. And so they wake up the next morning and all of this has been done and, and the people want to come and get Gideon and Gideon's dad kind of defends him a little bit. God's challenge here is pretty interesting though. Gideon, will you be loyal to me? Or will you be loyal to your family? And I don't know if your life has led you down that pathway in any sense or in any case, but sometimes life leads us there. God is calling us in one direction and our family may be pulling us in another direction. And the question is, in those moments, will I be loyal to God or will I be loyal to, to somebody else, whether they be family or any other human? Gideon still has fears at this point. No way should we regard his faith as confident at this point, but he's growing. I call it cautious obedience right now. Well then, without being asked, Gideon comes back to God and says, okay, I've survived this Baal incident. I didn't lose my life here. And so I know you want me to go take Midian out. And uh, So if we're going to do that, what I could really use is one more sign. If you could give me one more sign that, you know, this is really you. And so in verse 36, he makes this request. He says, if you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I'll put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece only and it's dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And so God makes that happen. But Gideon's not quite convinced. And he's actually a little bit fearful. Uh, verse 39, Then Gideon said to God, Okay, next day, do not let your anger burn against me that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more. Let's try one more thing. And so he reverses it. This time I'm going to put the fleece out tonight and I want the fleece to be dry but the ground to be wet all around it. And again, you see God's grace and His patience because God grants that sign just as Gideon asks. And so they're about to go into battle, but God still has some business to take care of. 
God decides that I'd better whittle down this army. This army is, is too big. And when you look at the numbers, they're already pretty daunting because if, if what I'm reading is if we understand the numbers, you got about 32,000 Israelites who are going to fight with Gideon. And they're going to go up against about 200,000 Midianites. Those really aren't fair odds. But God looks at it and says, no, that's not going to work. Notice verse 2 of Judges 7. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. And so even though you're really, really outnumbered, if we do it this way, it's just not going to work. And so... God says, first thing you do, you just tell the scared people to go home. If you're scared, you get out of here. And so it takes the number from 32,000 all the way down to 10,000. 22,000 people, they're kind of scared and they go home. And God looks at 10,000 people and He says, no, that's still too many. And He says, I'm, I'm going to give them a little test about the way they drink their water. And so they do that and God whittles that number down to 300. You think about that. 200,000 against 300. That'd be about like going over to Knoxville, filling Neyland Stadium up two times, and then that group of people going against a group about the size of us in this room right now. Those are the numbers that God decided would work so that the people would have faith in Him. And God does one more thing for Gideon. He says, Gideon, if you're still afraid, go down to the camp. Sneak down there and I'm going to give you one more sign. And he does, and he hears about a man who had a dream. And uh, as the man tells his dream to his friend, the friend says, oh, that, that, that dream can mean nothing but the idea that Gideon is going to come in here with his army and we're going to lose. And so a more confident Gideon then leads his small army into battle against Midian following God's instruction. Now, as we finish up this morning... I want us to think about the idea of how is it, how can we grow into a more confident discipleship? How can we grow into a more confident walk with God? You know, because we said it earlier, we sometimes identify with having a lack of boldness. And we sometimes identify with having a lack of self-confidence. And we live in a culture that doesn't help. I was preparing a youth lesson not too long ago, and one of the statistics I came across said that by the time a girl reaches 18 years of age, she's been told 250,000 times that there's something wrong with her body. Now, we understand why culture does that. If we can't be convinced that we've got problems, we're not going to go to the store and buy anything. But see, that's our culture. It convinces us that we've got problems. And so that lack of confidence, it's the reason you didn't ask her for that date. The lack of confidence, it's the reason you didn't apply for that open position. Lack of confidence, it's the reason you didn't stick your hand in the air in that meeting and share your great idea. We have these fears. But again, I wonder how often we're allowing our fears and our perceived inadequacies to limit our service in the kingdom, in God's army today, if you will. And it's a reasonable question because God wants Gideon to be confident. God wants Gideon to do what God asked him to do because God has work for Gideon to do. And so God extends His grace to, to Gideon. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10? We love those verses and, and we should. They're super important for us. 
For by grace you've been saved through faith. And, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But see, verse 10 is also important. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, God has extended us His grace. He saved us. It's a gift. It's nothing that we earned. But the reason that He does all that is He's got work for us to do also. And so Gideon's blessed by God's grace. We've been blessed by the grace of God. And we've got work to do. And so how can we become less fearful more confident. I'll give you several suggestions. Number one, we ought to allow the story of Gideon and others like it, we ought to allow those narratives from the Bible to motivate us and to assure us. Because when you start getting into a story like Gideon's, you see God's continued care, even though they're in the sin cycle, even though they're at that point where they're not being who they need to be, God still cares about them. He still loves them. He still wants to make good on His side of the covenant. And then also remember from Scripture, you've got all this in the Old Testament, but even over in the New Testament, when the church is new, one of the things that you see a characteristic of God's people in the early church in the book of Acts, there was a boldness about those people. There was a confidence at a time when the church was brand new. Just in Acts chapter 4, that idea is conveyed in verse 13, verse 29, verse 31. And so we ought to allow stories like these to motivate us and to assure us. Second, when we're tempted to ask, will God plus me work? Because that's kind of what Gideon's wanting to know. And so when I'm tempted to ask the question, will God plus me work? I need to remember that even though Gideon is kind of sort of asking that question, that's really not a great question. Well, why is that? Well, first... Because God has made this promise of His presence through all of our circumstances. And because we are His and because of His presence, there, there's this confidence that we ought to have no matter what's going on in our lives. Philippians 4 verse 13, it's memorized, we know it, we see it posted everywhere. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. See, that's a circumstance verse. That's a life circumstance verse. It's the idea that no matter what's going on, it can be good times, it can be bad times, the circumstance can be anything, but because of Him, I can deal with that. And then the other aspect of this, to remember that when I'm asking, will God plus me work, there's this prevailing concept through Scripture that it's always about God and it should never be about me. See, God attempts to drive this home with Gideon. He does that by whittling down the army. The, the army's too big. The people are going to think it's about them. We've got to get the number down so that everyone will know that it's about me. That's what God is trying to communicate. But see, Paul talked about that in the New Testament. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's talking about his ministry and what he's trying to accomplish. And in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Paul says, I don't want anybody to think my ministry is about me. He says, I want everybody to understand that what we're accomplishing here, it's all about God. Third suggestion... 
in those times where maybe we sense that we're being called to an area of ministry, we're being called to do something in the kingdom, when we're tempted to ask God, why me? regarding a particular area of service, we might, well, we might be better off to ask a better question. The better question being, why not me? In other words, can I develop the God plus me confidence to, to dive into a new area of ministry? Can I develop the God plus me confidence to, to teach that first Bible class? Can I develop the God plus me confidence to, to accomplish something that my own vision was too limited to, to even see as a possibility? A really neat thing happened down in Russellville several years ago. Uh, one of the storms had come through and done some damage, and so the youth group, uh, along with some adults, had put together a trip to go do some relief work, to work, clean up, do whatever they could to try to help. And they were going down to Selma, Alabama. Well, there was some miscommunication with the people in Selma and the people who were planning the work and putting everything together. The people down there, mis the, the, the miscommunication was they thought that from Russellville they had an experienced group of roofers coming to help. And so they planned two roofing projects. They went and bought all the stuff, and they had all the stuff at the job site. I mean, it was ready to go. All they needed was the workers. And so youth group rolls in... And see, the reaction and the response could have been, we don't do how, you know, we don't, we're not putting our kids up there, we're not, we don't know how to do that, and the adults kind of huddled, and, and a couple of them had kind of had a little bit of experience, and they decided, we can probably keep the kids safe and get the roofs on the houses, and so they dove in to something they had no idea they were going to dive into. And it was a neat thing because for the next several years, that group of young people, they were known as a youth group who could come and put a roof on your house if you needed it. Sometimes we need to have a bigger vision. And we need to be open to the idea that God may have something great for us to do. And if, we're, if, we're, if we balk and if we kind of stop short, we've got to be asking ourselves, okay, is it a trust issue? Do I, do I trust God enough? And if we're asking that question, we've got to understand it's completely human. It's one of the reasons that the Gideon lesson is so valuable. It's one of the reasons that he becomes kind of a hero for us because he overcomes his fears and he overcomes what he doesn't think that he has and he, he serves God in a great way. He's not confident early on. But he does end up with a mention in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith, where Hebrews 11.34 actually talks about faith of some people who were from weakness who were made strong. See, and I love that because sometimes I need more strength than I can ever find on my own. And so Gideon, he helps us understand why God wants and why God can always use confident obedience from us. And yes, I get it. There are those days where things aren't going well, and there are those days where we're having a little bit of trouble seeing God, and we're having a little bit of trouble seeing how it could all work out. And, and like Gideon, we'd like to approach God and say, and, and ask God, God, if you could just give me one clear sign, if you could just show me in one clear way, then I'm, I, I'm on track with you at that point. In those moments, I, I would challenge us to remember and to count our most important blessings. See, the idea that we do have a sign, we have actually God's most powerful sign ever. It's a sign that Gideon didn't yet have. 
Because the most powerful and confidence-inspiring sign that God has ever provided is that empty tomb. You remember Matthew chapter 28, long about verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. And even though that empty tomb jumps a long way forward in the story related to the story that we're reading, it's what makes heaven possible for us. And we've got to be mindful of that empty tomb all the time. Like Don said, that's why we do this every week. Assemble around the Lord's table. So Jesus is Lord. And the question is, is He your Lord today? Is there a fear that you need to overcome today? We've had several baptisms, several new births, but but maybe you're contemplating that and maybe you know that's what you need to do, but maybe there's a fear of some kind holding you back. Sometimes the the intimidation of walking down the aisle in front of people is it, it, it causes fear. Well, don't let that be the thing. Tap somebody on the shoulder after services and say, I'm ready to get this done. Maybe your fear in not surrendering your life to God is the idea that I've got a fear of not being able to measure up as a Christian. I don't know if I can live that way. See, none of us are good enough to live that way. We're covered by the grace of God that we read about. Maybe you have the fear of walking down the aisle and admitting that that for whatever reason you've had your eye off of God and you've fallen short and maybe you're in that sin cycle somehow. If you come that fear... And let that be made known. And let it be known that you want to get a new start. What you're going to find, you're going to find love. And you're going to find relief in knowing that you don't have to carry around that weight of sin anymore. Again, if you don't want to do that down here, find one of our shepherds. Talk with them. Ask them to pray with you. That's what shepherds do. The only fear that we ought to walk out of here with today is the one where if I'm not right with God and I haven't done something about that, that's a healthy fear. And I hope it stays with you until you make a change in your life. Jesus is Lord. Do you need to make Him your Lord today? If you have a need, let it be known while we stand and while we sing.